So we're talking about keys for focused living, and this is the, the uh, message that we're calling more keys for focused living. And as such, we're building it around something that Paul said in Ephesians. I want to start there, Ephesians 2. This is a great classic soaring passage. I mean, it's, it's a very well-known piece. It summarizes the gospel. Paul says this, and it's in the handout, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So grace immediately reminds us it's not something we can earn. It's a gift. Gifts can only be received. For by grace, God's loving favor, undeserved kindness, unearned favor, uh, his love that comes to us as a gift. For by grace you have been saved, that not of yourselves. It's from faith. And look what he goes on to say. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We don't earn our way into heaven. We don't merit our way into God's favor. Paul was a man who's writing, remember we talked about this last week. He was writing, you know, at the end of his life, he was writing young Timothy, and he talked about how his departure was at hand and how he was getting ready to leave this earth. He knew he was about to be executed. So he understood that, you know, his life had come to a close. And so he looked back over the arc of his life, and he was thinking about his conversion in the moment where Jesus apprehended him. And he really summarized it all by saying, you know, everything that's happened in my life, everything I've been able to do for Jesus, is, is, honestly, he says, I am what I am because of the grace of God. Now, that's important because when Paul says these words it's right now in, in this Ephesians letter, when he says, it's not of works as anyone should boast, he's basically saying that his perspective of, of how he thought about his life with God had changed radically because of Jesus. Because the fact of the matter was, Paul, before he met Jesus, was a man who believed a couple of things. One, he believed that you, ga you gained favor with God by what you did and didn't do. So he had a very legal, work-based mentality when it came to how one gains the favor of God. Secondly, he believed he did as well as anybody who ever lived at pleasing God. When he says here in verse number 9, lest anyone should boast, the fact of the matter was Paul was a man who boasted a lot. In Philippians, he was proud of his pedigree. He was proud of his experiences. In Philippians 3, he starts listing them down. He's, you know, he, he says, you know, I, I was and I am. And this before, this is how he thought of himself. He goes, I'm not just anyone. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a descendant of Abraham. He was proud of his heritage. I'm a true Israelite. He was proud of his tribe. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He was proud of his religious affiliation, a Pharisee. He was proud of the way he kept the law meticulously. He was proud of his intellect. It was formidable. He was proud of what he knew it was vast. He was proud in every respect. And yet when he came to Jesus, he realized that all of that pedigree, all the things that he was most proud about, all the things that he thought most impressed God, in reality, um, he realized that it, it wasn't about any of that. It was about Jesus in his life. And in that sense, he came to the understanding that he could never be anywhere perfect enough to impress God. He could never be good enough to get God to love him. He had to accept that love from Jesus, from God through Christ. And so that colors everything. That begs the question then, if it's all about God, and it's not in the end about us, then does it really matter how we live? I mean... 
this talk about refocus and aligning and adjusting and starting over and, and pursuing a, a higher quality life with the Lord, seeking to be a person who doesn't get stuck in ruts, discovering our life themes, challenging ourselves to live a better way for the Lord. Does it really matter? Look at the end of that passage, because Paul would say it does. Look what he says. For we are his what? His workmanship. He, I would say, yes, it matters greatly. Why? Not because we can earn our way to God, but because in light of what he has done, we need to live like we've been, been impacted by that touch. We are his workmanship. He's talking to everyone who would claim him, who's been touched by him. We are his workmanship. We are his art. We, is, we are his poetry. We are his sculpture in process. We are his story being written. It's uniquely you in him. And we were created. Look what he says we were created for. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus would later say, or earlier had said to his disciples, let your light so shine before men, before people, that they may see the goodness of your life and glorify, bring honor to your Father who, are, who is in heaven. That people would be drawn to the reality of God because of the way that we who are clearly not him, but we who claim to know him and love him and have him reside in our lives. And I know we're not all in the same place, but he says, I'm staking my reputation. People are going to either believe or disbelieve my reality in many cases because of the way the people who claim to know him represent me. That's a very, it's a very powerful thing. How we, how we represent the Lord matters. It really does. And how we contend for things matters. So when it comes to this idea of focused living, I would suggest that actually God does care greatly about it. We talked about how the Lord has a purpose for us. Part of the privilege and the challenge of our life is to pursue and explore that purpose. But oftentimes when I say that, I realize that it just, it doesn't really connect. What is, our, what is God's purpose for our life? I mean, it might every now and then when we're thinking really long thoughts. But I have found it always is a little bit better to, to wrestle with what is his seasonal purpose? And you hear me say that a lot. Like, what is the Lord trying to do in our lives in this season of our lives? If someone was having a conversation with us, and they would ask us this question, what do you think the Lord is trying to do? What is the Lord trying to do in your life right now, in this stage of your life? How would we answer that question? How should we be thinking about our gifts or the things that God's entrusted us with? What does it mean to represent him in our sphere of life with the people we're around, where we work, our family, our friends? What does that actually look like? What is he trying to establish inside of us? Are there things that he's trying to get planted in us? What does he want us to focus on? This is what we've been talking about. And in my mind, it's a big deal. Now, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of times where I think we struggle with focus. Um, it's one of the reasons why the Bible talks a lot about it. Remember that quote we brought up a few weeks back, and we've actually been referring to it, that anything less than a conscious commitment to the important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. Anything less than a conscious commitment to what's important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. What is it saying? We're prone to drift. And we don't drift into better. That's the truth. When we drift, you know, a lot of times, it, and part of the reason is because we're a product of dominant culture, which is the way it is. It's, it's like we just kind of move with, it, with things. It's amazing to me how sometimes we can be so touched by God in one moment 
and how quickly we can forget. That's one of the reasons why the Bible keeps saying, remember, 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 repeat these things, put my words near to you, remember, remember them, commit them to your memory, rehearse them. Why? Not to just get us stuck in this religious rote kind of experience. No, because it's like when it's on our mind, it, it's, it's going to stay close to us, and we are prone to forget. We're prone to wander. He talks about, about this all the time. It's one of the reasons he uses the analogy of a shepherd and sheep. I mean, he says, you are my sheep. You're the sheep of my, my fold. He told his disciples that. And he says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd good. My sheep know my voice, and another they will not follow. The sheep always recognize the voice of the shepherd. But I thought about it. He couldn't have picked a more vulnerable image, could he? A sheep. Sheeps are so vulnerable. And they're so prone to get themselves into trouble with not even thinking about it, right? They, they just kind of wander, wander out. And the next thing you know, they're stuck in some bush somewhere. Bah, right? Help, help. Right? They're stuck. And they have no protection. I mean, think about it. A lot of animals do. Some are fast. Some can give off really bad odors, right? Some, can, some have ferocious teeth, claws. What do sheep have? They have nothing. They're like, they're like utterly vulnerable. They have like a little bit of wool, maybe. That's it. They're not fast. They're not super smart. They're just, they're just, they're very vulnerable. They're prey to a lot of, that's why they have a shepherd. And I, I think the Lord, you know, he's not talking down to us, but he is talking caring, in a caring way. Because we are prone to wander. We're prone to get ourselves into places we, we shouldn't go. We're prone to get off track. We're prone to get stuck in play. We get, you know, we get depressed sometimes. We get hurt. We, <laughs> we do. Um, you know, sometimes we get worn down. It's not that we wandered off. We just, we lost our, we're just getting, we're tired, you know. I was sharing earlier that some, sometimes it's like, it's the same thing happening again and again and again. It's like, Am I ever going to get out of it? Am I ever going to beat this thing? Is it always going to be with me? Some of us, we just hear the same lie over and over again. It just comes back around. You're no good. You always disappoint. You'll be abandoned. You can't make it. You don't look good enough. Whatever. The lies that come around. And don't make, we should never underestimate the capacity of, if, and I'll say this in a spiritual language, of the evil one to take that and really hurt us. God's our, our, God wants to help us. He will. He will help us. But it's going to require two things. Our willingness to let him, that's called grace. And then secondly, our willingness to put in. That's called focus. And that's what we're talking about. You hear a lot today in business circles, especially about this concept of grit. Grit. I think by that, what is meant is this idea of stick to the ability. It's an old word that's kind of gained new coinage in the uh, kind of workplace or te technical field vernacular these days. The idea of grit, stick to not quitting, persevering, pushing ahead. Try, keep trying. If you're going to innovate, keep innovating. Don't give up. You may not hit it. There's this whole idea. Have grit. I think grit is good. Grit is good. But sometimes it's not enough. There'll be sometimes we hit a wall. We can't get No amount of tough it out 
want it to be, dream it can happen, is going to make it. I know. People say, don't ever give it. Don't ever give it. I get it. But there are some things you're not, we're not going to grit our way through. We're going to have to have grace to get through. There are some things we're going to have to grace our way through. And that means that's him helping us. It's like, it's, I was telling someone, it's like someone, it's like there are some things, I just got to pull that chain harder. Oh, I can do this. And we might be able to. There are other ones that it is not, I, I, there is no, that one, it not, I don't care how, um, it is not budging. I am not going to move it. It can, I can't do it. I, I'm going to need grace because it may be with me. What do I do? There are some things we're going to have to carry and God's going to have to give us grace. And we may, I speak no negativity, nor is this my desire for any of us, but there are some things we may struggle with for our whole life. And his grace is enough. It's okay. Some things will be delivered. I'm just telling you. But grace, grit, focus, all these things, we're talking about them. Now, last week, we talked about four things that we could do to keep a more focused edge. And all, I'm not going to go through them all. I just wanted to put them up just so there's continuity because I want to kind of build off with three. But you can see them. First one had to do with identifying our themes. We talked about that. We talked about this idea of focus on the first things. We just mentioned that as well. Seeking first the kingdom, focusing on the important, soaring with our strengths, managing our weaknesses. We talked about those things. We talked about keeping things in perspective. And, of course, God asking God for a fresh touch of grace from time to time, that we need it to be refreshed, like the refresh. But 5, 6, and 7, and... and Perhaps in the minutes that we have left, you can just listen. Which one of these three do you feel like God is wanting us to most connect with? Before we go run off, what is he trying to say to us? The first one is going to be interesting. It may not make sense initially, uh, this fifth one. But I'm I'm going to put it up there. It's called choosing our failures. And that is basically saying we need to choose some things that we're willing to be less successful at or not successful at. But I would start by just saying less successful. There are going to have to be, for some good things to happen, for some growth places to happen, hey, look, some things can't grow because there's just not enough room. And we're going to have to decide, is God saying this? Because if he is, and a lot of times that voice is clarified through counsel and sitting with his word and just talking with our friends who also love him and praying together. But as we think about our lives, and we're looking at the plot, our field, we only have so much room. So... Are there things that God might be saying, for this thing to grow here, this is going to have to get trimmed down here? Or I may even have to, use this language, fail at this, quit at this, end this, for this to happen. There are times where there are certain habits, hobbies, thrusts of our life that God wants us to reorder, or in some cases, recede, or in some cases, bring to a close, okay? so that other new things may emerge. Now, sometimes God loves us so much, hear me, that he will force our hand. He loves us that much. I'm using the verse, it may not make sense to everyone, but the Bible says, whom God loves, he chastens and disciplines every son and every daughter whom he receives. There's something about a loving father and a loving mother that does not refrain itself from loving discipline. It's the unloving parent that never disciplines in love. Having said that, that's a lot of times with God with us. He wants to help us choose our failure, but we're stubborn. 
and we won't do it. Sometimes it's an obviously bad thing or an unhealthy thing. You, we need to fail at that so this can live. But other times, it's actually not a bad thing. It could be, actually could be a, a good thing or a, a solid thing. But it, it, for, that, for this better thing to happen, we're going to have to phase this thing back. And that can also happen sometimes when the Lord is just trying to say, hey, you know what? You're getting a little off track. You, we're, I, I want you to come back this way. It's not because it's bad. It's just this is the better way for you. This is a very vibrant way to approach our life with God. Jesus articulated the principle vividly concerning both himself. Look at what he said in John 12. He said, truly or assuredly, I say to you, I'm telling you this. I say this to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it, it will abide alone. But if it does, it will bring forth much grain, much fruit. He was saying he was going to die. A harvest would come. But it's more than that as well. It's a principle. Some things must die for other things to live. And in case any of us haven't noticed it, dying is hard. It's pretty hard. But it's going to be important that we begin to think about how the Lord wants to help us die to certain things so that other things may live in some of our lives for the very first time or live again. It's a God of amazing chances, resurrecting things. What do you do? A track record. Number six is, is this, and the second one for today. And that is we get to determine to persevere. The reason that's such a big deal is because we're going to at times get hit with adversity. Sometimes it's going to be extreme adversity. Some things are going to hit us so hard, and we're going to feel dazed. We're going to lose our focus. I don't know if you've ever been hit so hard or hit your head. It's like sometimes it's really hard to focus when you're in that place. It's like, well, how can I? I can't even barely get my bearings. <sighs> sometimes we're, we're, going to, we're going to be shaken. But the truth is it's, it's sometimes hard to get up and keep moving forward. And I know this. It's true. Especially when a very real part of us may want to run away or quit. It's hard to be courageous sometimes. We're going to have to ask God to give us courage. Some of us need courage. Courage is not being fearless. Courage requires fear to be present. Only with the presence of fear can there be courage. Having said that, there are times where God definitely wants us to move forward. Now, there, <laughs> that's the tension point, right? Okay, did you notice? What, what, go back to that and you look at it one more time. Just, I, some of you may have already deduced this. Hey, didn't you just say earlier, grit is good, right? Yeah, I did. But didn't you just say that it's not enough? Yeah, I did. Now you're telling us we're supposed to persevere. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But wait, it's either not enough or, or it is enough. I'm saying is it's both. There are going to be times when the Lord is saying the grit is, is, is not enough. You can't do it on your own. You're going to need me. There are going to be other times when the Lord is saying, you know what? You're quitting too easy. You're not putting in. You're giving in. And I want, you, I want to teach you how to, how to move through things. Okay, I know a lot of you may be getting tired of hearing my Rocky movie analogies, right? I get that. <laughs> and I can only tell you how, how much grief I took. Here's what I was surprised because, you know, my son Jake got me because of the, the movie that came out, Creed. My son got, he wanted to, he got all excited about watching all the Rocky movies. I told you all about that. And, and then how I got really, as I watched, at least I watched the first three really closely. And I actually started getting, I felt like I was getting 
a lot of things spiritually for myself that I was able to apply. I, was just, I really enjoyed it. I was shared with you those things. I, and I made this statement. One through threes, they're pretty good. I said, but four through six, don't even bother with them. I didn't realize how many Rocky fans were out there because people, people actually responded to me, what are you talking about, Pastor? There's good stuff in four, five, and six, too, right? And I said, well, I, and so I, I didn't even know there was a six, really. I, it's technically not Rocky six. It's Rocky Balboa, just to be clear. But having said that, there were spirit, I, you know what? I went back, kind of skimmed through four, because I, eh. five, I was interested, but six was the one, I, all of a sudden I go, hmm, the Lord does have something to say to me. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's an interesting thing because there's this moment where, okay, Rocky, you've got to get past the premise initially, okay? He's, he's in his mid-50s. It's like a George Foreman type thing. Some freak thing happens, and he just wants to fight for fun, and he ends up getting brought into some match, you know, with the champ. It's, it's interesting. To get there required a modest leap. However, there's an interesting di dynamic that goes on in the film, and I'm going to connect, hopefully connect this. All right? He has a son. His wife has died. Adrian. Yo, Adrian, that one. She died. She's passed. She's gone. And, and she's no longer there. But her son is. Their son. They have one son. And it's very interesting because in the, in the film, the way it's set up, he and his son, they have like, there's love, but it is a, it's a, there's a tension. The son is a younger man who's far more sophisticated than his father. He got the benefits of of the wealth, you know, he got good education, he was trained well, he can operate in, in a marketplace environment. But the son also has this like subtle resentment for his father, because he always has to live under his shadow a little bit. So it's an interesting dynamic. He is partly who he is because of his father's success, but part of him despises it because he, he almost feels like he's never really himself. Oh, you're Rocky's son, right? Oh, you got this. Yeah, of course, you're Rocky's son, right? Always. So he kind of has this resentment of his father that he somehow, he struggles with his own identity, like people often do when they're children of others who maybe have attained more notoriety or something. It's like, who really am I? Right? It's a hard thing sometimes. And, and then, but there's another piece there, because he also simultaneously resents his father a little bit, but he also looks, kind of looks down on him. Because Rocky, you know, he's kind of, he's a simple man. He never was educated. He's a Bach. He just... He's good, he's kind, his love is true, but he's not sophisticated. And he knows it. They have this interesting conversation because Rocky's wanting him to get behind his dream because he wants to go and fight again and try. And his son is trying to talk, to talk him out of it, but there's this one moment, and some of you will know what I'm talking about. Rocky and him are having this conversation. He's just loving having this conversation with his son. He's so badly he wants to connect with his son. And his son's talking to him. But then there's this moment where as they're talking, Rocky starts to realize he's talking down to me. And some of, if you ever had that happen where we're in a conversation, all of a sudden it dawns on us, wow, you're like talking down to me. Like I'm not that good. And that's when this happens. I'm just going to kind of read it, do my best. He starts out like this, right? Just stay with me. All right. He says, you know what? He says, uh, he says you ain't going to believe this, but... You, you used to be able to fit right here on my hand. He has a big hand. Right there, I'd hold you up. And I'd, I'd hold you up, and I'd say to your mother, 
This kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody I ever knew. And you grew up good, and you grew up wonderful. And it was great watching you. Every day was like a privilege. And then the time came for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. Listen, you, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you're hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Now, how much can you take and keep moving forward? Now, if you don't know, and I love this. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or because of her or anybody. Cowards do that. And, you, and, and that ain't you. You're better than that. Look, I'm always going to love you no matter what, no matter what happens. You're my son. You're my blood. You're the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Don't forget to visit your mother, okay? That's what he says. <laughs> The deal is, and the reason it spoke, is because there are going to be times in life when we are going to be hit so hard, we're going to have to keep moving forward. The difference is, for those of us who have him in our lives, it's not just about us toughing it out. He, the shepherd, walks with us. Lo, I am with you. Look at me, he said to his disciples. I am with you even into the end of the age. The scripture tells us, I am a very present help in time of trouble. I will not leave you in an age of abandonment. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. These are, that's the promise of the Lord. I'm just saying that there are times when the Lord really is going to remind us that he, okay, you know, I was thinking about it because on top of that, um, the Lord does want to help us. You know, he sets the example of how to do it. I mean, he went to the cross. He endured the cross. He shows us how it's done. I think it's really a, a literal example is because Jesus couldn't do it. I mean, he, said, he steadied himself to the cross. He didn't want it. He set himself towards Jerusalem. He knew what was coming. He set his face like a flint, moved towards it. He didn't do it as God. He did it in his humanity, fully vulnerable, so vulnerable that even in the apex of his strength, physically speaking, a man of his age, he was so beaten and bloodied and weakened that he could not carry his own cross. He falters in the streets. He can't do it. He literally cannot do it. And you think about the humility of God in the sun. He couldn't do it. The very cross he was going to die on to give his life away that so we could live, he couldn't even carry it. But he kept going. They had to call someone out of the crowd. You, 
We know the man's name because evidently he becomes part of the believing community. Simon from Cyrene, help him carry, and he does. So another reminder that there are some things we, if it was true for Jesus, it'll be true for us. There are some things we're not meant to carry alone. Okay? It's no shame. It's there's wisdom in it sometimes. Sometimes a key to perseverance is setting ourselves and just getting a little bit at it. Sometimes we can run like the wind. Other times it's going to be so hard just to take one little step. That's why I say sometimes surviving is victory. I don't want to stay there permanently, but sometimes it is. Lastly, connected to this, we'll leave with this. This one's going to sound simple, but number seven. God also, one of the keys for focus living, giving our best. We have to decide to do it. That sounds so simple. Now, some of you uh, may have noticed. You may have, you may have looked, you just happened to do it. You said, hmm, he's been talking a long time, and he's only talked about two of the verses that are in the handout. But there's this huge passage in there. <laughs> and when are you going to get to that? Right now. Okay, here we go. And here's why. Here's why. And it'll, I'm going to go fairly, fairly quickly. But here's why. There's this intense passage in the book of Malachi. What's Malachi? The last book of the Bible. No one very few times ever quoted out of Malachi. But there's this intense moment in the book of Malachi. And it's God speaking through his prophet to his people. And he's saying to them, you're hurting me. And I'm upset with you. And it's because of something they were doing, or we should say what they weren't doing. He describes it. Listen to the heart of God. He says, as a a son honors his father and a slave his master, I am your father. If I am your father, then where is the honor that is due me? If I'm a master, then where is the respect that is due me? Says the Lord Almighty, if you priests who show contempt for my name, it's you. This is what you're doing. He's talking to leaders. He's talking to them because he says, look, you guys are, do you understand what you're doing? When you, when you, you set up worship and you're treating it so poorly, you're giving me such shoddy effort that you're breaking my heart. Look what he says. He says, but you ask, well, how have we shown contempt for your name? He says, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, well, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? What they were doing was, when it came to really giving back to God in the temple, people were just like, and the priests were cooperating with it, they were giving the stuff that nobody wanted anyway. The animals that were going to be put out of the flock anyway, they, weren't, they, couldn't, weren't, they had no value in the market. Oh, we'll give those to God. And the Lord says, you think I'm not seeing this? You think this doesn't matter to me? You who claim to be my people? And this is how you treat me? Look what he says. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice the lame and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Look at that. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Like you had somebody in your, coming to your house and you wanted to impress, and you pull out. And they meant something, they had power, you, you respected them, you wanted them to, to think highly of you and just open up, come out undressed, unsha- and then bring out something like, like, oh yeah, let me see what I got for you here, maybe, uh, like something with like mold on it. Here you go. 
I was going to throw it out, but you know what? You can have it. <laughs> right? That's what I'm talking about. Well, let me go through this garbage again and see if I can pull something out for you, all right? Now, plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Come on. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. It doesn't mean anything to me. All the stuff it doesn't matter to me. I don't want the ritual. I want your heart. I'm not pleased with you. No, I'm not, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no, no, I will accept no offering from you. No, I will not. Not from your hands. My name, it will be great. Whether my people who, who should love me and honor me will, will do that, fine. Someone will. My name will be great among the nations. We're doing that right now. From where the sun rises to where it says, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And when we serve God, one of the things we need to remember to focus on is to give him our best, not our leftovers. Don't give him stuff we don't want anyway. Better not to give it. Better not to give it. Don't tip God. He doesn't need it. Don't tip the church. We don't need it. I was reading a story about a, a, a woman who was cleaning out a freezer. <laughs> she had a turkey in there that had been in there for 30 years, frozen. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, what? It caught my attention. So here's the woman. She's cleaning out her deep freezer. She finds this butterball turkey. This turkey is there. It's, at, it's 28 years old, according to the date on its side. She calls the butterball company to see if, they, if it's safe to eat it, right? And the customer service person puts her on hold to consult with the supervisor because they never had a question like that before. And he comes back and he says, ma'am, can you be sure that this turkey has been frozen for the entire 28 years? The woman says, it's been frozen solid. I've never lost power. It's never thawed. The customer service person says, hmm. Well, then we believe the turkey is safe to eat. <laughs> but just so you know, we cannot guarantee the quality of the meat. <laughs> it might not taste very good. The woman pauses thinking, and then she says, that's all right. I'm just going to give it to the church anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, what is that? Now, I can assume the woman loved her church. She was dedicated, believed in it, but she thought nothing of giving it a 28-year-old turkey she didn't even want anyway. Come on. God notices how we serve him, little or small, big, noticed. I'm going to show you next week that it, the unnoticed stuff Jesus noticed. Hmm, did, did matter. We should work swell for the Lord. It's good for anything that would bring profit to us. I'm just saying that. I know none of us meet that standard, but I'll finish with this. Jesse Owens said this. He's gonna, interesting, there's going to be a biopic about Jesse Owens coming out. Clever name. He was the great African-American athlete. Excelled in the Olympics. Amazing story. Hitler, all that, that whole period. The film's called Race, which has a dual meaning. 
Um, but he said this, in fact, it's on your handout. We'll close it out with this. He said, there is something that can happen because it has to do about giving our best. In an athlete, every human being, it's the instinct to slack off, to give into the pain, to give less than our best, the instinct to hope to win through luck or the opponents not doing their best. So it's not about us being prepared, it's about us hoping they're less prepared. Instead of going to the limit and past your limit where victory is always to be found. And then he said this. I asked them if they could put it up. Defeating those instincts that are out to defeat us is the difference between winning and losing. And then he said, and we face this battle every day of our lives. And I couldn't help but connect back to what Jesus said when he said, give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily thing, a choice we make, the choices we make. Refocus daily to pursue the things that are best. Help us, Jesus, to do this. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to have our time of giving, I want to ask your blessing over just this word that we've shared. I know we have stuff going on today. I get all that, you know, that's okay. But I ask that some of the things that we've sat with and pondered and heard in our hearts would resonate, whether it's to us writing them down, thinking about them, praying about them, talking a little bit about them. Uh, let them settle into our heart. Maybe one in particular stands out. Maybe it's about giving our best and not giving you our leftovers. Maybe, maybe it's about other things. I don't know. Choosing to have more grit, choosing to have more grace in an area where we don't have the strength. I don't know. What is it, Lord? Are there areas you're calling us to, to move, move forward into, to to quit making our excuses, which are so easy and legit at times, but you're calling us to step past our fear, to not get anchored and stuck in fear. So I just ask for your blessing as we close our time out, which with a song that really could be construed as a, as a love song or a friend song or a God song. Just a reminder, a good final word for us. So I ask for your blessing over this, these closing minutes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.